This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. I've got a theory about this episode. What is your theory? My theory is that I had a lot of fun with this episode because it was a low stakes drama free episode, which probably means that you absolutely were bored to tears by this episode. I mean, like (laughs) I wasn't not bored, (laughs) but like, we have been here for four seasons already, right? Like, yes, they're just, but here's the thing. So have you ever watched parenthood? Parent, like the, with the Braverman's parenthood. Yes. Uh, no, I have not. Okay. So I just finished watching the entire second season over the last two days. And this episode reminds me of an episode of parenthood. And the reason why is is thus. Parenthood fits into this category that I think early Gilmore Girls fit into as well, where the episodes always feel like the stakes are high Uh and dire. But then by the end, it's all like, no, like, like, whereas when I'm watching the O.C., I'm constantly like, all right, someone's going to get in a car accident. Someone's going to get <laughs> shot. Some, like like yeah. I'm waiting for something huge to happen. This one, like Parenthood, it's like it, there's always a threat that something could go wrong and it always works out all right for everybody in the end. Like it's like a feel good, wholesome show. And after all of the Oliver stuff, after all of the Eddie and Teresa stuff, I needed another one of these good, dumb, worthless episodes is it as good as the Rooney episode? Not even close. But I I found this episode to be a, a, a genuine romp. Romp would be the word I would use to describe it. Okay, okay. I mean, is it a romp in the sense that... Like, it was... It had the zaniness of a Daniel Palladino-directed episode, right? Like, it's very like, let's make a restaurant. And... <laughs> 
Like, let's go save a stripper. I literally wrote down, I said, this is such a low stakes, goofy episode. And like, but I, I bent that in the best kind of way because I needed that. I yeah. needed it to be like a, let's build the restaurant. Like, let's, let's go to a Hollywood party. Like sure. Luke doing, doing like a borderline Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello, Three Stooges routine, trying to break up with Julie Cooper. Like I needed, I needed all of that stress free after everything that's come before it. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, we're setting up more pieces because there's still five more episodes <laughs> after this to to get us to the end. So we need more drama. I much prefer the episode after this, <laughs> which is like okay, I, I, like. So just throwing that out there, but I much prefer the episode after this. Okay. I will keep that in mind for the next time we record. I'll say this is one of Joe's absolute favorites. Um, <laughs> but something that doesn't happen very often on the OC, this like literally picks up where the last one left off pretty much to the minute. Like yep. we are, we are starting this episode with Ryan and Seth walking home from the airport going to the hotel to visit Teresa and on their way they catch Luke and Julie in the act kind of Mm -hmm. they learn the filthy filthy secret of what's going on there the Um, other secret involving Luke (laughs) and that's when they sit down like Ryan like pulls Luke aside and is just like hey I like you and I don't want to beat you up all the time like I did the first six episodes of this TV show. But what the fuck are you doing? Like, like literally, what are you doing? How how has it not dawned on you that this will literally destroy Marissa? <laughs> like, yeah, like get it together. I will find an excuse, any excuse to get Marissa out of Newport Beach. You have 24 hours to like call this shit off before you hurt our friend. And that gives us like the wacky episode of Luke trying to dump Julie Cooper. It's so goofy. It's so goofy. He's hiding in bushes, knocking on windows. Like it's, it's insane. (laughs) It's like, did Neil Simon write his parts? It is a literal screwball comedy that you're watching as like Luke is trying to figure out how to get through all this shit. And I love I love that there's like there's a hickey joke in there. He gave Julie Cooper a hickey that she tries to claim as a curling iron burn. Yeah. Caleb, meanwhile, is trying to reconnect with Julie uh, and take her on a date. Yeah, there's there's so many moving pieces there. And then we get to we get to the end and the most unrealistic moment to move a plot forward is Luke just storming into the pool house and saying, all right, I broke up with Julie Cooper (laughs) at the top of his lungs. It is moments like that from film and television that you will never, ever catch me doing that sh- amateur bullshit. Yeah. Like, 
like like look around i mean even if you think you were safe like you know what because again also that's probably like gay trauma right of like being afraid to out yourself so so let's you know let's just call let's just name that and call that what it is but like it's so like low stakes potatoes and also like ryan could have done a lot better like you know what i mean like at that point you also i kind of have to blame ryan because it could have been like marissa's here marissa's here yeah i mean it doesn't matter to a certain extent when luke walks in i didn't think he was gonna name the crime in his conversation i was like he'll walk in and be like it's done and then marissa will be like oh what's done i didn't think he was just gonna fucking give the details of the plot in (laughs) in dialogue like out the gate also like ryan atwood a dude whose pool house is very rarely just filled with ryan atwood at any given moment there's always a seth cohen in there or a marissa or someone looking for somebody showing up a Haley is in there like Uh, mercifully well maybe not mercifully but like unfortunately usually when ryan is alone he like is in a various state of undress right like he's got He's only got his, I've recently heard it called a wife pleaser. It's, it's called, he, he's in his wife pleaser shirt. That's Which, what I'm going to refer to it as because I never, I'm like, I guess tank top. The tank top, <laughs> the the U shirt, the, uh, yeah. I've heard U shirt. The wife, ple- wife pleaser, That's yes. what I'm using that from here on I out. I was like, it was like feminist black, t- uh, black TikTok that I was like uh, watching a video on. And I was like, you know, he's all wearing his wife pleaser shirt. And in my mind, I'm like, you know, if my man wore that, I, I hope I'd be wanting to be the wife that he was pleasing. That's all I'm saying. I I told someone the other day because I was wearing a wife pleaser underneath my shirt that I was wearing for Easter. Um, but I came home and it was real hot. So I like took off the Easter shirt, still kept the wife pleaser on. And then I put on uh, a pair of gym shorts and I was texting somebody and they were describing how they were dressed that day. And I responded with, well, I'm currently dressed like I quit drinking Bud Light because Kid Rock asked me to stop. So that's what I, I think feel about like the I shouldn't place. ask, but like, <laughs> is that something that Kid Rock, act- you, I hope you don't know for sure. That means you don't follow t- Kid Rock, but like. Did he actually ask people to stop? I know the whole Bud Light situation, but like, is oh, within minutes of it being announced, he used Bud Light as he was shooting a gun at Bud Light, saying, "This is what I think about the new Bud Light cans." Just a quick reminder, all of our listeners out there: Kid Rock lived a life of privilege as a very rich man in the richest area of Michigan. So don't buy the like white trash kid from the from the burbs part the only thing that's true is the kid from the burbs um all right but that's that's kind of it for the 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 luke and julie stuff is pretty back burner let's go with a little bit of the jimmy sandy caleb kirsten side of things caleb and jimmy or caleb and jimmy are not doing anything jimmy and sandy are trying to get their restaurant open they realize that there's money that they need that they do not have. Kirsten's like, well, there's someone who could get you that money. Or Julie is actually the one that suggests there's someone who can invest in this. Uh, and Sandy's completely against it. Jimmy thinks that they don't really have a choice. The Dark Lord, once again, yes. rears his ugly head. But he's also just like, he's also just so clueless too, right? For it, It's so interesting that's like, 
like the show wants you to believe that Caleb Nickel is simultaneously this like like greasy Donald Trump of Newport Beach, but also like a bumbling idiot who can't like get a woman to suck his dick. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah, it's a whole thing. So there is a line that I enjoyed a little bit. Jimmy is trying his best to be a good dude in this whole situation. Um, and as the conversation's getting weird, he keeps saying he's going to his happy place. And then as Julie throws more insults on him, he just goes, my happy place is not very happy right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is a pretty, pretty solid line. But they agree to cater a dinner with a bunch of rich folks from the Newport area to convince them to help invest in this restaurant. I love that the way they're pitching this is that this singular restaurant will change the landscape of Newport Beach. Celebrities will suddenly storm back to their shores just to get some food from the the lighthouse. Um, it's, it's absurd. It's like super absurd. Uh, but it makes me really love Sandy and Jimmy's friendship. And I understand that Jimmy runs off for different reasons that we will get into in a moment, but there's still that moment where him and him and Sandy are having a conversation in the kitchen about what to do because Caleb is throwing a lot of demands on how to change things and like, Oh, we need to have fancier food for these people. The meatloaf just won't do blah, 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 blah. And at the time when it's just Sandy and Jim, Jimmy alone, Jimmy is like, man, we don't have a choice. Like, this is the only choice we ha- we have to make. And Sandy's like, I'd rather have nothing than than this scenario. Um, then Caleb comes in and starts to make fun of the meatloaf. And that is around the point where Jimmy basically just parrots exactly what Sandy has said earlier and storms off. Caleb makes a comment along the lines of like, I can't believe your partner ran out on you and he says something along the lines of like he didn't run out on me that's why he's my partner or something like that like it's like a very it's a very sweet line that just reminds me that i really do love the friendship that they have now kind of firmly built with sandy and jimmy from the beginnings of this season to where we're at right now i will give you credit i fought you on this tooth and nail the same way that i fought with people about game of thrones and was proven wrong uh oc has done a fantastic job of really winning me over and giving me redemption arcs with characters that I found completely irredeemable in early episodes. So there's still hope for Julie Cooper, similar to how this episode ended. And I said, Oh, maybe there is hope for Caleb too. Like, yeah, you're, (laughs) I appreciate that, Matt. We are playing the long game with Julie Cooper. though. (laughs) We are playing the long game. We're playing the like, we're playing like Negan lives and gets a spinoff game. Like that's what we're playing. Gotcha. With, okay. With, okay. With Julie Cooper. Good to know. The last thing I want to say about the adults is Luke breaks up with Julie Cooper. And what does Julie Cooper do? Pretty much immediately upon being dumped. Yeah. Busts out that phone to get a date with Caleb. Uh, so. But can I just say my girl, Julie, which like, yes, she is not her best. She's not living her best life right now. Uh, to me, you know, as if I was her sister, I'd be like, girl, you're fucking up. But for her to be like, t- plan the plan the ideal date, text him the details, and we'll see. 
like that's a fucking boss move and no that is a, no i'm not uh, even mocking her at that point she she still stayed true to herself on that phone call which i appreciate it now let's go with the kids right so summer and marissa have a random run-in with one of the stars of the valley the show within the show <laughs> yes and and it took me way too long to pinpoint that that was Colin Hanks, but Colin Hanks, I just need to give a quick shout out, is such an underappreciated actor. He is like, Colin Hanks is living the career that his father would have had if Forrest Gump and Philadelphia didn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, just wacky sex comedies, goofy yeah. roles, like, because Tom Hanks has done so many dramatic roles at this point that I think people of our age and definitely people younger than our age forget that like he had impeccable comic timing as like the leading role in many comedies like bachelor party money pit big like he really had a skill set for that and and he still uses it in dramatic roles Sometimes unintentionally, Elvis, but like, <laughs> but like, Colin Hanks has done a wonderful job of picking up that that position of being the wacky Hanks that we love, as opposed to the other Hanks son, who's the wacky Hanks that we pretend doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but just need to get that praise in there. He invites Summer to his birthday party in L.A., And this becomes the perfect way for Ryan to get Marissa out of the house. Seth wants to go because he's afraid that Summer will be uh, seduced by by the celebrity. Because, of course, Seth Cohen has to make it about himself. Yep. They're driving to this this event. And one of the first things that I thought was, it is weird to me that Summer is so knowledgeable about Lord of the Rings. She is like <laughs> dropping some deep Lord of the Rings references that make zero sense again to the character that I knew in episodes one through 10. <laughs> but then we get to this party and there is so many weird, but funny, like mocking the Hollywood elite at this point. Uh, I love the line where they're talking about, yeah, we're going to remake the golden girls, but make them young and hot. <laughs> Like completely just missing the Golden Girls. Later on, he takes Summer to his car to show him footage from an unreleased episode of The Valley. And when it cuts back into the car, she goes, I can't believe we're just watching your the dailies. dailies. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, the most like asshole. I don't know. You, We know people who do this for a living, right? Who make yeah. TV and stuff for a living. So it's like when I personally hate it when... You get when things get self-referential, but like for its time period, I'm like, because like people watching this are not going to know what dailies are, you know, like I think maybe now with uh, maybe now probably a little bit more, but like not then. So like, it's just so just, oh my God. (laughs) But then we get this twist and this is the biggest sore subject for me in this one is we get this twist that Haley is now a stripper at this party. And it's fine for what it is. And like, admittedly, I produce a lot of podcasts for a lot of sex workers. I am friends with people who are strippers. 
and and maybe that's why I've become sensitive to this, but I am just so tired of the narrative of like, oh, well, if someone's a stripper, they must be just having a sad, tortured, miserable life when it's like, you know what? There's plenty of people who absolutely fucking love doing that work. Yeah. They are thrilled to go up there on that stage and they put in a lot of work in their craft and like are probably in better shape than any person that is sitting there wondering what a sad, pathetic life they might be living. And she's probably making stacks on stacks on stacks. 100%. She even says that. She's like, I'm making great money. But then it does turn like that's the thing. It's like it's the same thing with like you know, the pretty woman is a little bit different. It's definitely a different time period when pretty woman is happening. But like, it's just that there is such a stigma of like the only way that anyone would ever choose prostitution, choose stripping, choose to do adult film work would be from an absolute point of desperation and and a low self image. And they must be addicted to drugs. And this is their like, all these terrible things. It's like, or they just really like doing that work and it yeah. gives them fulfillment. Like, you know, I, I, there's a million and one things. Check out a few of the shows that I work on, specifically Sin, Sage Advice with Sin Sage. It will really make you think twice about how you perceive people who do sex work yeah. is all I'll say. But yeah, yeah, that that was like the biggest strike for me in this episode was like, I ain't loving this narrative that we're putting out in this episode. Yeah, it's like sex work is work yeah now we, seeing your yeah. aunt strip is probably weird i get yes. that <laughs> but like also just it, it, it they they make it seem as if like you know they just rescued her from like you know russian block like sex trafficking like which is it's yeah. def- it's definitely not her her boss is doing his job <laughs> of yes. making sure that like people are paying and she's dancing because that's what she's getting paid to do. Yeah. Now I do. Yeah. I do love Jimmy's insult on her boss though. When, when uh, they're outside the club and it's like, you know, Oh, what are you bunch of kids? Oh, daddy. Oh, you're going to call for your dad. And he's like, well, at least you're not the same age as me, but acting like you're 25, <laughs> which is like, well done. Well, well placed insult yes, there. Honestly, hurtful, but, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, it's, it's hard to talk about an episode like this, though. I agree, because especially coming off of like last week's episode where it's like you're seeing what could potentially be the wrap up of the Eddie Teresa story. I'm sure that there's going to be more. But at the time, that's what it seems like. You're seeing what seems to be the end of the NSS story. Like there's there's all these things that you've invested episodes in even if it's just three episodes you've invested some type of time and storytelling into yeah and this one is literally like the monster of the week episode like it's just like it's the gang goes on an adventure this could be an always sunny in philadelphia episode for all i know like it's just (laughs) yes like like gang goes to la yeah like you know like it's it's very oh you know what oh my god we missed the most important thing the bizarre Paris Hilton not playing Paris Hilton cameo. I, I for a minute I thought we were watching that episode of Supernatural that Paris Hilton's in because she looks <laughs> exactly the same. Well, she there was only one look that Paris Hilton was doing back then for sure. 
Um, I actually, when she was talking to Adam Brody, I was like, ooh, it's the hottie or the naughty. I remember this movie. (laughs) (laughs) This was definitely at that prime time where we were all all invested in the in the real life with Paris and Nicole like she was everywhere she was the it girl for a little bit and like it is it is so interesting now again to, to, almost to swing back to the sex work conversation right like yeah how much shit did we give her did we give Nicole Richie and then it's like you look at them in 2023 and it's like these are smart business women who I'm pretty sure on both accounts, both of them do an intense amount of humanitarian work yeah. with the money that they make. You know what I mean? But like for for the because we were man, we're, if you think that we're misogynistic in 2023, go and just visit what 2001 was like, because these girls were nothing but quote unquote dumb sluts or privileged brats. Like, I don't even think we he, were saying, calling them privileged. I think we we're just calling them dumb. Yeah, like it was just like it was we were vicious back then. And I say we including myself in that category. That was just acceptable ways to talk about people who did reality television shows like the real the real world or the real life or the surreal life or any of those those types of shows. And it's yeah, it's fucked. It's tough to it's tough to deal with. I. I remember uh, my friend Ashley talking about, hey, if you if you want to pretend that homophobia was gone in the 2000s, watch a season of The Mole. Like, ah. like you will be floored by the way that people talk to each other in the early 2000s when we were well past knowing what words we should and should not be saying on a regular basis. Yep. But she did a fine job for what she was there to do. She she showed up. She delivered the line. She flirted with Seth Cohen for a little bit, and then she was out of there. No notes, no complaints. Was it, is she the greatest actress that's ever walked out into the stage of the OC? No, because she's not a fucking actress. She, she's a, she's a, per, uh, a personality that they just put in front of the camera. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that was the only thing they advertised when this episode was coming out was Paris Hilton shows up on the OC. Yep. Also, but she, she was right though. The writers were right. The selfie the well you didn't call the selfie right the yeah. picture phone is the is the autograph of the future yeah she was dead on she was dead right on that that was a good prediction hi friends the world got you down don't be sad listen to two dollar late fee with zach and dustin two dollar late fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment the 1980s we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. We're making an ad. Napping ads. I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. (laughs) So, um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. That brings us to an end. We can talk about some music, though, Joe. Because, man... 
This is another one with a lot of... Anytime that they're at a club, man, is there a lot of extra music that we have to sift through. I know. You're going to have to remind me <laughs> as you... All like, right, so here we go. This will be my refresher. So there was Ride by the Vines that plays when Seth and Ryan catch Luke and Julie. Uh, there was How Good Can It Be by the 88s, which plays when they're stuck in traffic heading into L.A. Born Too Slow by the Crystal Method is what plays when Luke and Julie Cooper start to fuck again. And then it also <laughs> is just as Ryan, just as Ryan notices Haley. Um, then it cuts to a commercial break. When it comes back from that commercial break, it's now the secret machines. The road leads us where it's led, where Ryan is talking to Haley um, to get down by Tim O'Mas plays when Seth recognizes Haley, get it crunk by KB dub plays when Ryan and Marissa sneak back into the club through the VIP entrance. Um, all the bands by the plus ones is Grady's band that he makes summer listen to in his car. And then lastly, out of LA by Jude plays when they're leaving LA walking across the the walk of fame. So Joe, this is one of the toughest ones because none of these are very noteworthy or memorable to me, no. but if you had to pick a song from the episode, what, what would it be? So the cop out answer is like the last song, right? Because it yeah. is. It is a perfect one. It's a perfect song, not only the music, but just like how it is set in the scene. Um, but just for the comedy of it all, I'm going to go with Grady's band. <laughs> I wrote them down. Well, because I think that that song sincerely isn't bad. Like, it's not good, but it's not yeah. a bad song. It, it was good. To me, it's like it has to be that song or it has to be the very first one. The song Ride kicking in when they see Luke and Julie yeah. making out like. Those yeah. are the only two ones that even remotely stuck out to me because yeah. so much of these songs are just like background noise. Like yeah. it's just like mixed into dialogue. Um, Which yeah, also, I mean, just a, like a little quick thing because we didn't get to it, but like when Summer and Grady get caught in the van, her like ref, her, what she says to the actress is like, you know, aren't you guys dating? Isn't that going to like ruin the show if you guys oh break up? Isn't that what happened on the set of The O.C.? I mean, it didn't ruin the show, but they were dating. Like Rachel Bilson and I think uh, Adam Brody were dating at the time. Yeah, that's always messy. That's always messy. Yeah. She, um, I think, would go on to uh, maybe, I don't know if she married him, but she definitely would go on to date uh, um, Hayden Christensen when they were on Jumper together. Wow. I mean, look, right now, one of my favorite shows on Disney Plus, High School Musical, the musical, the series, Olivia Rodrigo, no longer on that show. I mean, her star was certainly starting to rise. Yeah. But also, I'm sure being on a show with the ex-boyfriend that you wrote an entire album about also probably caused some issues because if you... Just a little bit. If you watch that show, Joe, you will appreciate how in season one they are in every scene together that is peak joshua and olivia dating you get to season two and they literally have a scene together (laughs) and then by season three they are on different coasts (laughs) throughout the show like they had to come up with ways to creatively write them away from each other um so i can get it i can get why dating someone on a hit show could be a bit of a problem um, but that high school musical, the ser- the musical, the series drama is not my pop culture promo. Uh, I do want to use my pop culture promo to actually talk about something I hate it. And oh, I think first and time. I think 
first time. Yeah, this is the first time. And I think that this was a thing that everybody hated. Uh, it was, it was, it was a pop culture misstep in a huge way, which unfortunately was Velma. Um, HBO Max did this adult Scooby Doo Velma show, and to refer to it as try hard um, would be an understatement. Joe, did you watch any of this? Did you give Velma a chance? No, I haven't. I haven't watched Velma, but. Like I haven't really watched any um, animated uh, series since Q Force got canceled on Netflix. Uh, okay, <laughs> but um, it's funny you should say that because uh, Joshua, my co-host of Fright School, actually really likes Velma. Yeah, I want it to like Velma. I love, and I watched it to the end. I watched it every single week. I wanted it to be good. It just like here's here's like my prime example of what I didn't like about Velma. So they introduce the character who is Shaggy. They don't call him Shaggy. They call him by the character's actual real name of Orwell. Um, it's a fun fact for those of you who don't know. Orwell is, in fact, Shaggy's real birth name. Um, but when they introduce him, he has a line of dialogue where he's just like, he's the head of the anti-drug group on, oh, on campus. And he's like, because I will never do drugs, not even marijuana. Joe, they repeat that line like nine times in the entire run of the show. It's like, I get the joke. Like, I get the joke. He is a character that has been co-opted as a stoner character. So it's funny that he doesn't do drugs. But the joke was only kind of funny the first time. And when you say nine more times, like it's It's not getting funnier. Yeah. Like, and that just is how I felt about the writing of Velma. Like, I felt like there was a lot of good ideas. I liked what it wanted to be. I love the idea of a violent, gory, adult Scooby-Doo. I just think that this was like a huge misstep in trying sure. to do it. And it becomes difficult to talk about. It's the same thing that I struggle with when talking about like why I didn't like the female Ghostbusters movie. It has nothing to do with them being female Ghostbusters. It has everything to do with the script wasn't very good. <laughs> like, sure. like I want, I want another one of those movies with a stronger script because I think that those four girls work beautifully. So like, I don't want this to be construed as like, well, Matt Kelly doesn't like that. They made, they changed the races and ethnicities of all of his beloved Scooby-Doo characters. Like, I don't give a fuck. Do whatever you want with the yeah. characters. Just give it a good script. <laughs> make, make yeah. It, Make it work. <laughs> but how about you, Joe? Bring some positivity in this world. What is a pop culture moment that you've experienced that you want to want to talk about? Um, I I'm gonna revisit something that I just I'm like can't wait uh for the new season of it to come out. Um, Heartstopper. Oh, there we go. All right. Yeah, Heartstopper. We we did it for Fright School on our Patreon. Uh, we, it was so lovely to like watch this show along with Joshua, um, inside joke for me and Matt, cause Matt has met Joshua. <laughs> so what that whole experience must've been like, and it was actually quite surprising and fun for the both of us, especially a second rewatch. And I was talking about it with some other friends recently and thinking about like, yeah, this is like, it's not overly, it's like, it's a sweet film. It's it's a sweet film. It's a sweet movie, but it's not uh it is plausible um in in that like, you know, it's a it's plausible to have a a queer teenage coming of age thing uh that is not solely rooted in like 
trauma, like gay trauma. So I I got to give it up to Heartstopper because it's it's at the front of my mind lately. Yeah. All right. There you go. Well, bit of a shorter one this week, Joe, but also not a lot of consequential things happening. I mean, essentially, this entire episode is just to get us to Marissa finding out about Luke having sex with her mom. Yes. Um, so I'm sure that that will be pretty big chunk of next week's episode of Willing yeah. to Bet. So uh, stay tuned when we find out what happens in the Cooper household fallout now that Marissa is in on what's been going in and out of her mom. <laughs> friends the world got you down don't be sad listen to two dollar late fee with zach and dustin two dollar late fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment the 1980s we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today we also interview your favorite celebrities from that era all in the spirit of positivity and togetherness check us out at two dollar late fee.com listening to the Geekscape Network.